Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Angie Firemuth. And I'm Aaron Snyder. Today's guest is Mr. Eddie Belk, Programs Director for Mississippi Valley Division. Thanks for joining us here today. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. I appreciate uh, you and Angie having me today. Look forward to the discussion. And even more than that, I really appreciate uh, what y'all are doing with these podcasts. I think they're important. I think folks find them helpful and valuable and uh, much appreciated. Great. Appreciate that. And today's episode, you know, we want to talk about the CORE's aging infrastructure and what needs to be done to ensure that this infrastructure remains reliable and relevant in the future. Um, but before we get into it, could you just give us a little background about yourself and then your history with the CORE? Yeah, sure. Be glad to. I've been with the, with the Corps of Engineers now for uh, just over 30 years. I actually began my career in the private sector. I worked for a consulting firm, engineering firm in Memphis, and then for a couple of years, and then in Little Rock for a couple of years. And for whatever reason, I had it in my head at some point while in Little Rock that I wanted to work with or on the Mississippi River. And applied and eventually got a job in the Memphis district, and so spent 22 years at the district level. My last job in the district was the DPM, and I uh, had the uh, commander at MBD at the time, General Walsh, said, hey, you <laughs> suddenly found myself at, in the Mississippi Valley Division in, in Vicksburg, and so spent maybe uh, five years, four years in, in, at the regional level, and then General Peabody uh, at headquarters did another, hey, you, and suddenly I found myself at headquarters. So chief of operations and regulatory initially when I was at headquarters, and then uh, eventually moved into the programs integration uh, division job, the program job at headquarters. And then more recently, uh, very thankful the chief chose to reassign me back to MBD, back near, closer to family. And so, as you can see, I apparently can't keep a job <laughs> very long. So <laughs> that's kind of uh, the long and short of it. I am a um, registered professional uh, civil engineer by trade and a registered uh, professional uh, engineer. Thank you for that. I, you know, I'm glad Aaron and I have had the great pleasure of working with you for many years, and, and now everybody can get to know you as well as we do. Just to start the conversation on aging infrastructure, um, we were looking at the 2021 report card for America's infrastructure that the American Society of Civil Engineers gave the inland waterways, and it looks like it was a D plus. And so, I, you know, I think this is somewhat due to the age of the infrastructure within the system. Can you talk about the state of the Corps' infrastructure and why this infrastructure is important to the nation? Yeah, great question to be pleased to. First off, I think if any of our kids came home with a D, whatever you see, plus, D minus, D, it wouldn't be a happy day. So I think probably no different when we think about infrastructure. But I'll take the scenic route to answering your question maybe. It may be important to frame why infrastructure is important. I, I've had a, a member of Congress state uh, multiple times that if you, if you look back in history at those civilizations that were successful uh, over time, that made an impact, that progressive and really stood out in history, uh, you look back at all of them, they, they, he said there's two things they have in common. One is they prioritized and invested in education, and the second is they prioritized and, and invested in uh, infrastructure. And if you see those two things in a civilization, then you will see successful, wealthy, and very uh, progressive civilization. And so I think you can debate whether or not you agree with that, but I think it's a good testament to why infrastructure is important. 
you know, if you look at the definition of infrastructure, it really is, you'll see some variation of the importance to economic activity and to quality of life. And so the absence of infrastructure is uh, not where you want to be. It's something that's uh, critical. <laughs> In fact, if you look at, at our nation right now, one of the few things that our decision makers in Washington agree on is that infrastructure is important and we need uh, to invest in it. Now, it sort of breaks down after that because you get to how do you pay for it and you get, well, even now you get to what is infrastructure. There's some softer definitions, so there's, they'll figure all that out. But for the Corps of Engineers, infrastructure is huge. We are an infrastructure-heavy agency. If you look, look across the landscape of federal agencies, we are at the top of the list when it comes to, to infrastructure. We uh, owe it to the nation to make sure that infrastructure is continuing to perform effectively. I, you know, I, I guess I also would maybe talk about the term aging infrastructure. You know, I think all of us are probably aging infrastructure ourselves. So age does not necessarily mean bad, uh, because what you're really talking about is uh, performance and condition. And so you can have old infrastructure and it still perform uh, magnificently. But generally, generally, age will bring in issues that will bring in degraded efficiency, degraded effectiveness. And so, yes, generally you can say aging is not good, but not always. And that's especially true in the core because what, our secret sauce for infrastructure is our people. We have people working out on our projects who do incredible things to make sure that the infrastructure that this nation depends on continues to function and function as designs. It's not just about money and it's not just, just about investment, it's also about the people we have who make the highest and best use of the infrastructure we got. And that's something to be, uh, I think we, we all need to be uh, proud of. If you look at the Corps of Engineers, we've got about $268 billion in assets that are in play around this country uh, across all our mission areas. You know, if, uh, if you look in the navigation sector, you'll see over 24,000 miles of commercial waterways that we are responsible for. I would submit it's not just the locks and dams that are infrastructure, it's also those navigation channels and making sure that they're of adequate depth and able to deliver as designed. And I would tell you too, when we say navigation and navigation infrastructure, it sort of rolls off the tongue, but it's really bigger than that. When we say navigation, we're really talking about the movement of commerce. And if you look at this country, on the global stage, we won't compete and win with the most favorable labor rates. We won't compete and win with the, the most low-cost uh, labor regime. Where the United States competes and wins globally in, in the global market is with efficient transportation. And so what that means is when a uh, towboat pulls up to a lock and dam, for example, that thing needs to be open for business. It needs to operate as designed and it needs to make sure, or needs, need, we need to make sure that it, it is efficient so that when somebody sells beans or corn uh, and moves it to export that, that you can do so uh, and exploit that competitive advantage we have with transportation efficiency. The other thing that's really important when you talk navigation is <laughs> last time I checked there's no rail line to Europe, last time I checked there's no bridge to Asia. If we interact with the rest of the world, we will do so by water and therefore you will do so through core infrastructure, whether it be inland locks and dams and channels, uh, harbors, or whether it be coastal ports, coastal channels, we have a decisive role to play in this nation to make sure that we're open for business and that we're competing in the global uh, economy. So significant part of that $268 billion is in our uh, navigation sector with locks and, and dams and other things. 
Look at the flood risk uh, sector, huge infrastructure portfolio with 700 dams in our dam inventory, flood control dams, over 14,000 miles of levee that uh, we and our cost-sharing partners are responsible for. So that infrastructure is critical to making sure that people, lives and livelihoods, that economic activity can continue unhindered by flooding. And getting even harder now with, uh, as we see, climate variation, climate variability, and uh, sea level rise, that infrastructure becomes even more important. So you see a big piece of that $278 billion for flood control. If you look in the hydropower sector, the Corps owns and operates uh, over 75 hydropower plants. We produce about 25% of this nation's hydropower, clean, no carbon footprint. And so uh, that is a huge part of the economies uh, of those areas that have hydropower. So we've got to be about rehab, uh, rehabilitating those, uh, that infrastructure as well. Drinking water, we've got recreation sites, uh, biggest recreation provider in the country, bigger than Disney. All of that infrastructure is important. All of it requires an investment. And so our job is to make sure that we are first taking care of the infrastructure with our people and then bringing the resources we need in to make sure that we can fund <laughs> the necessary, uh, whether it be maintenance, whether it be recapitalization, or whether it be re rehabilitation and recapitalization that we're bringing those uh, resources to bear. Yeah, I think that's a, a great summary. And I think it really shows the importance of the Army Corps of Engineers and our infrastructure. I know like when I came to the Corps of Engineers, I actually had no idea of what the Corps of Engineers was or what they did. And I think so many Americans don't realize the impact um, that the Corps has on their lives. It's probably good that they don't know we impact their lives, um, but the reality is, like, the movement of goods and commerce, we support jobs across the nation. I, I was reading something the other day that said that basically core infrastructure, 20% of jobs in the nation can be connected in some way to core infrastructure. Thinking about the magnitude of that infrastructure, and you talked the the investment early on and, and how successful civilizations, say, invested in education and infrastructure. And it's clear that with $268 billion worth of existing infrastructure, we made that investment at least at one time. Um, and then that question is, you know, how do you continue to invest in that as we move forward? And with the $268 billion in assets, you know, we've got the people working to make sure that these uh, have the performance and function that we want them to have. But what are we doing and what kind of hard decisions do we have to make in deciding as to what we can keep in top-notch condition and what things, you know, maybe aren't serving the, the exact purpose that we anticipated initially? And, and how does the core make those difficult decisions? You know, that's a huge challenge that we have. We kind of got this big math problem with all the $268 billion worth of assets and then the O&M tail that comes with that. We've got a lot of construction, probably over $100 billion in construction projects that are authorized but unconstructed. And then we've got to recapitalize and, and or rehab a lot of those uh, older pieces of infrastructure. So it is a big challenge. I think, though, this may sound odd, but I think part of our challenge starts with effective communication because if you look at this country, over 75% of this nation was born after 1960, including probably all of us on the podcast right now. You may say, so what? Well, here's the deal. If you look at core infrastructure, most of our infrastructure of that $278 billion in assets that we operate around the country, most of that infrastructure was built out from the 1930s through the early part, middle part of the 1960s. Obviously, we've done a lot since then. We've built incredible things since that time. The center mass of all that infrastructure was built out from the 30s to the 60s. What that means is we have a generation now uh, that grew up 
with that infrastructure. They were never never had to deal with the absence of that infrastructure, whether it be for navigation or flood control or what have you. And I'll give you an example. You know, when I was a kid and went down to my grand, grandparents' house in northwest Mississippi, get on uh, you know a local a local state highway and then a another uh, road, then an unpaved road, then a gravel road, then a pig trail, and we'd get down to Grandma's house in, in about an hour, hour and whatever. By the time my kids came along in the 80s, the interstate was built, and you could go there, and we'd be there in, in, in less than 45 minutes. My kids never conceived of getting on a gravel road and going down a pig trail to get down to Grandma's house. And so uh, we've got a whole generation that's grown up that way. And so what that means is, Infrastructure is an existing condition. Never had a really experienced life without it. And it's a bad deal when you do. We see that in, in disasters, God forbid. So a part of our challenge is, is education to help people see the, the value proposition because I, I, I'm, I'm in Vicksburg, Mississippi right now. We passed a flood of record through the, on the Mississippi River, Lower Mississippi River in 2011. There were people that probably lived within a mile of where I'm at that never had a clue. It was a disaster that nobody knew about. and so. Some of this is, is communicating the value proposition because not only, uh, you know, a lot of folks born after 1960, a lot of our decision makers now are in that same mode. We're all standing on the shoulders of those who came before us who made those bold investments. And when it comes time to reinvest, to recapitalize, uh, they may not see the value proposition because they've never experienced being without out that infrastructure. And so, uh, but uh, beyond that, I think, one of the main uh, really important things that we've done in the core that we've matured in the last few years is our whole whole approach to asset management. Where we, for each asset, each asset management class, we look at the condition, uh, we look very closely uh, at performance, uh, and we look at the consequences of failure. Those attributes help us assign a risk profile to that. And so with that, we know where our risk is, and therefore we can do a better job of allocating um, limited dollars to get the, to do the highest good. In other words, buy down the most risk of, of each dollar we spend, whether it be in navigation or flood control or ecosystem restoration or hydropower or wherever, uh, we have a much more scientific and more thorough way to understand risk and then apply uh, dollars to it. I think another piece of getting after our infrastructure challenge is innovation. I think we've got to embrace new materials. We've got to embrace cutting-edge design. We've got to embrace different construction approaches uh, that let us put infrastructure in place that's more resilient, more durable, uh, better maybe than what we're building, we're building, say, in the 30s and 40s. And so there's a lot of pieces to this. I think it all starts with understanding your infrastructure's condition and risk and being able to make smart investments accordingly. I think that's right. You know, the, the effective communications, and, and I think you did say it right, you know, the existing condition and so many people kind of have the existing condition if it's there, so they don't realize the effort that went into it. And, and I think it's also a testament to the core that, you know, industry says, you know, you should invest 2 to 4% per year into operations and maintenance and just keeping your infrastructure solid. You know, 2 to 4% per year on, on $268 billion almost exceeds the core's entire appropriation. So the fact that the core is able to do what we do with the people and be innovative and deliver these programs is, is really a testament to the people that we have. Not only that, it's continuing to face additional pressures. And I think with, you know, climate variability and climate change and just more natural disasters in the last 10 years. There's been more billion-dollar disasters than ever, um, and, and it seems like every year there's even more. Um, so it's just some challenges that the Corps continues to face. Absolutely. I think 
the other piece of that, uh, you mentioned uh, climate change, climate variability. I think that's putting even more pressure on this infrastructure, aging or otherwise. Uh, I think we've got to do a better job of thinking about that as we whether build out new infrastructure or rehab and recapitalize existing infrastructure. And that's also, I think, where innovation can come in. We can help ourselves in that regard by doing a better job of looking at best practices uh, that are going on. The real, the real challenge, particularly in the flood risk arena, but also in other sectors, is, is really this concept of resilience. Being able to look, look down the road, understand what kind of hydrologic changes that that infrastructure will, will, will face and account for that now rather than passing the bill along to our, our kids. I do think we have opportunities right now with the discussion on uh, the infrastructure bill. I've, uh, I've read a lot about infrastructure, and, and one of the things I read that stuck with me was, uh, you know, there's, a, as I indicated earlier, a big debate right now on not infrastructure. I think everybody agrees that's the right place to invest, but it's how to pay for it. And uh, I read a number of studies that point out that if we think passing a deficit along to our kids is a bad thing, and, and it probably is, wait till you pass along an infrastructure deficit because then you no longer have the uh, economic baseline to generate economic activity in order to buy down that deficit. So I, I think our decision makers are grappling with that now, uh, trying to build that financial, potentially with a supplemental uh, infrastructure bill to provide for that financial economic baseline of the infrastructure so that our kids and grandkids have that infrastructure to grow their economy and to be successful and and competitive globally. So I, I do think there is a cost of not investing in infrastructure that certainly our kids will see and then we may even see at some point. I think for the core, one of the good news stories is Congress continues to do infrastructure the old-fashioned way, where they have, for the fourth year in a row, have provided a record annual appropriation for the core. They've provided tremendous flexibility for us to apply those dollars where we see the most risk not only in uh, existing assets that are operating out there and with the dollars to properly maintain them, but they've made some really prudent, allowed us to make prudent investments in new infrastructure that does some of the things I talk about, you know, account for climate change, are more resilient. And so the cumulative effect of those record appropriations combined with recent supplementals, I think, are really helping us turn the corner on sort of this uh, uh, maintenance backlog that we've been challenged with as an agency for a number of years. Uh, Congress is really stepping up, and it's not just them stepping up, but we now have the tools to know where our risk is and know have the tools to best apply uh, those dollars. And when you combine that with the people that we have at our operating projects, whether it be a lockdown, hydropower plant, flood control dam, who are passionate about that, that that's a powerful combination. And I think it's uh, letting us make some uh, important inroads uh, we're properly taking care of that infrastructure that we're responsible for. We've heard a lot uh, about the infrastructure bill and whether or not there will be one, but what would an infrastructure bill do uh, to help the core? Like what, what challenges would it help address? Yeah, thanks, Angie. I think there's a number. Um, you know, first thing that comes to mind is um, I mentioned earlier, uh, we have about $100 billion in projects and assets and infrastructure that have been authorized by Congress but not yet funded. And, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, it would let us get after some of that uh, infrastructure backlog and put some prudent, economically justified infrastructure in place that can help this country. That's one thing. I think the other is, you know, I talked about the aging infrastructure. <laughs> it would let us get after recapitalizing and or rehabilitating 
a lot of that old infrastructure and, again, to make it more resilient to account for climate variability. So we can really make a big dent in that requirement as, as well. Again, coupled again with technology, I, I can never fail to mention the importance of innovation, uh, technology, leveraging the power of Vertic. Uh, there's a lot that they can help us with in understanding uh, where science is headed, what best practices look like, what the cutting edge is for all of our asset classes. And I think uh, combining all of those with an infrastructure field can really have a powerful impact on the economic landscape of this country and provide assets that are going to operate for the next 50 to 100 years. It really is an opportunity, sort of a golden age uh, of recapitalization for the core that I think will serve this country well for a very long time. Yeah, and we talked about all the different bills and the supplementals and um, just kind of piecemealing some of the work that needs to be done. What is the best long-term funding strategy for our infrastructure? Any thoughts on that? <laughs> That's a great question, too. Uh, you know, I think uh, the traditional models of Congress providing appropriations uh, through the energy and water appropriation is certainly going to continue to be critical and crucial. Um, I think people don't think about it, but our cost-sharing partners provide billions of dollars each year. So leveraging what Congress provides with what our partners provide uh, are going to be key to that. In addition to what we've already talked about with innovation and using the power verdict, I think we've also got to be innovative in how we approach financing, looking at things like public-private partnerships, finding more places where that tool can be usable and leveraged. There are trillions of dollars of private sector capital sitting on the sidelines as we speak, ready to be deployed in infrastructure, the art of the deal is for us, to, the Corps of Engineers, to find ways to deploy some of that capital in smart ways. The best example that we have right now is the Fargo-Moorhead flood risk management project up in Fargo, North Dakota, and Moorhead, Minnesota. We're using a public-private partnership transaction. Well, our partner is, our sponsor is, and we're working in partnership with them to deliver this $2 billion program. The value proposition of a public-private partnership is that you can deploy immense amounts of capital up front, and we're not exposed to accumulating those dollars year after year through incremental ability of the sponsor to pay or through incremental appropriations. You can go to the market, get all this money up front, multi-billion dollars, and just have a, a uh, very aggressive, violent execution, if you will, <laughs> to do that in a much shorter period of time and, and start bringing that project online, generating benefits sooner and really creating a, a basis for an economically viable investment. So that's not for everywhere at all places, but there are places where it makes sense, and I think we've got to be open to that. I think another opportunity is our Civil Works Infrastructure uh, Loan Financing Program, loan program. It used to be uh, called WIFIA. Congress has afforded us the opportunity uh, to grant loans, and this can be real helpful to a lot of private interest or, or public interest Levy drainage districts, flood control districts who have huge needs but aren't able to meet those in the bond market currently or in the municipal bond market. We can use SWIFTI uh, with the funding to bridge what they can currently get with what they need to actually deploy this infrastructure and build it out. Infrastructure has a very long life, 50 plus years, and so we can, under the terms of the WIFIA program, give them better terms to make it more affordable for communities 
so that they're not limited just what they can get under, say, a traditional 30-year loan from the municipal bond market. So it is incredibly powerful. I think we've got to get better at understanding and leveraging that tool. Aaron and the team at headquarters are doing some incredible things to set conditions for that. I think Congress is very intrigued and open to that. I think our job is to finish developing and setting up the program with the funds that Congress has provided. And then once they start giving us the ability to make loans, make sure that we have some early wins to show the value proposition, because I think Congress will see it as well. And, and I know a lot of our partners can, can see that. Uh, beyond that, I think Congress has also given us some authorities uh, that allow us to work with sponsors, let sponsors take on more of the responsibility, both financial and uh, construction risk. And so using those authorities when they're appropriate. And I don't think there's any one thing that's, that's going to get us over the hump. I think it's a lot of things that we're going to have to work together. I think we're going to have to rethink our playbook, things that have made it successful up to now from a financial standpoint, I don't think are, are equal to the challenges that we're facing in the future when we're looking at our rehabilitation and recapitalization needs of this existing infrastructure plus $100 billion in new infrastructure. We've got to think bigger and, and use every tool in the, in the toolbox. And the good news is, too, the good news is we have some incredible tools that we've developed in the last four to five years that I think are going to help us a lot agency-wide. Yeah, thanks for that. And, you know, obviously the, the support for alternative financing and federal loan programs and P3s and looking at how to deliver infrastructure differently is, is really, I think, important for the agency as we move forward. Um, we are nearing the end of our session together today, but I did kind of want to ask you one, one last question. Going back to the infrastructure bill, you know, back in the 1930s when somebody had the big idea of building the navigation system on the, the Mississippi River, all these locks and dams, that had to have been a huge idea at the time, like big cost. What are those big ideas out there today that the Corps probably could never get after during a normal funding cycle, but that this infrastructure bill could potentially open the, the door for? Do you have any big ideas that you would like to see implemented within the Corps? The opportunity that an infrastructure bill could afford for us to think programmatically rather than postage stamp project at a time incrementally, it, it really opens up the playbook for innovation, for speed, for efficiencies when we have a bigger example of where it's, it's very similar to P3s where you get all the money up front and you can have so much innovation, so much flexibility in your acquisition approach and uh, your sequencing. The same thing is true, I think, for an infrastructure bill, uh, depending on the size and the scope, it can open up the playbook for us to be efficient and effective in delivering both on recapitalization and rehabilitation needs and uh, new infrastructure from the $100 billion that's out there. So I just think the, the flexibility that full funding gives us is just incredible. I think as an agency, we've had full funding so rarely that we've, we've kind of become a little bit, maybe a little bit numb and may have lost an appreciation for what full funding can actually do. We've been using an incremental model so long. So I think some of this is going to be between the years here. We're going to have to exercise some muscles between the ears and think differently to exploit the advantages that could come with an infrastructure bill. And I think with success comes success. If, if we are successful, I have no doubt that the nation will reap benefits and Congress, I think, will continue to be thoughtful and helpful to the core if we prove our ability to deliver effectively. Thank you for that. We're nearing our end of our time together, but I do want to reach out and ask you if you have any final thoughts for our audience. <laughs> I guess I would just say the Corps of Engineers is in a good place. 
you know, we, we tend to get kind of gloom and doom when we think about uh, all of the uh, requirements that we're facing with completing ongoing projects, with operation maintenance, with, you know, we also always have more demands than we have uh, resources. And that's, that's the circle of life. That's, it's, it's everywhere. But I, I want to leave on a positive note, leave this uh, podcast on a positive note. We have a lot to be thankful for, a lot to be proud of in the Corps, both in terms of what Congress is continuing to provide to us. They're not providing these record appropriations because of our charm and good looks, <laughs> although we would like to think so. They're, give, they're giving to us because what we do is important. And I don't see that changing. And I think we've got excellent people, as I said, that are going to make the highest and best use of those funds. And the glass is half full, and I really believe that. I think it's going to even get better. We'll see how the infrastructure bill pans out. You know, maybe we will get it, maybe we won't. But I just think we need to be ready if we uh, are presented that opportunity to take the most, make the most of it. But I think we're in a good spot. I just see a very bright future with this huge uh, infrastructure portfolio that we're responsible for. Thank you, Mr. Belk, for joining us here today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you, and people you are interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.